0: The International Association for Near Death Studies presents NDE Radio, a weekly exploration of near-death experiences and similar encounters with the other side. Now, here's your host, Lee Whitting. How do psychedelic drugs relate to out-of-body and other mystical experiences? Can a drug simulate a near-death experience, and if so, how does it work? Welcome to NDE Radio, brought to you by the International Association for Near Death Studies. I'm your host, Lee Whipping. Our guest today is Dr. Mitchell B. Leister, a fellow member of the board with me at IANS and a resident of Monument, Colorado. Mitch received his MD from the University of Colorado School of Medicine in 1985. He completed a psychiatric residency at the University of California, Irvine, where he co-authored a study investigating the phenomenology of MDMA. He has published in the fields of transpersonal psychology, near-death studies, and psychedelic medicines. He has lectured at universities, medical schools, and international conferences on shamanism, visionary experiences, near-death experiences, and the use of plant medicines in the treatment of addictions. He is vice president of the International Association for Near-Death Studies, and for the last 24 years, Mitch has had a clinical psychiatric practice in Colorado. Mitch, welcome to NDE Radio.
1: Thank you, Lee. It's my pleasure to be with you this morning.
0: Mitch, your, your bio doesn't really elaborate on the fact that you've, uh, you've traveled to um, Central America, met with shamans and in your investigation of psychedelics, and one, one of the things that really disappointed me as a child of the 60s myself was to see that um, the, the psychedelics, LSD and the like, w- were not used for um, the development of mystical experience and, or for the ex- exploration of that, but became more uh, an entertainment to people and and became because of that became outlawed. And I'm, I'm wondering how how have you been able to work with these things um, since since society sort of turned against them?
1: Well, Lee, I was a child of the 1970s, so I sort of missed out on all the fun kind of the 60s. And I didn't have much experience (laughs) with these medicines. But uh, when I was doing my training in Southern California, I had professors who were very interested in their potential therapeutic uses. And these were very well-grounded researchers that uh, I respected very much. Um, One of them, Charles Grobe, who's director of child and adolescent psychiatry at UCLA Harbor Medical Center in Long Beach, uh, traveled to Brazil and did a study which involved neuropsychological testing and physiologic testing on people who'd used a South American medicine, visionary plant medicine called ayahuasca, and published this study, and I got very interested in this topic um, because I respected Dr. Grobe, and uh, so I sort of got interested in these uh, medicines through my uh, professors and people that I respected.
0: Mm-hmm. And... Uh... Others have written about uh, ayahuasca. I think Graham Hancock wrote a book about it, um, among others. Um, But um, has it been um, – what was your experience with it?
1: Well, um, my first experience was just intellectual, just reading studies or books like you mentioned. And then in 1997, I had a chance to travel to Ecuador myself with a group of people who wanted to learn from the healers or shamans of South America. And uh, part of that experience was working with different healers, indigenous healers some of whom um, use ayahuasca um, in the jungle of, the, uh, of Ecuador. And so that was my first experience with ayahuasca. Um, it was not a pleasant experience. Um, ayahuasca is an interesting medicine. It's a mixture of different plants, um, which individually don't have much effect. Um, one of the plants uh, contains a chemical called DMT or dimethyltryptamine, which is a naturally naturally occurring substance. We have it uh, in our brains, we have it in our bodies, it occurs throughout the uh, plant and animal kingdom. But normally when people ingest it orally, when they swallow this medicine, it's broken down by enzymes in the gastrointestinal tract. But the indigenous healers have learned to mix this plant with another plant that contains uh, something called monoamine oxidase inhibitors, chemicals that block the breakdown of the DMT. And uh, when those plants are used together in a tea or a brew, they produce visionary experiences. Um, and depending on the uh, preparation of the individual, they can be very powerful healing experiences. Sometimes, just very uncomfortable experiences.
0: Are they used there uh, religiously, the way peyote is used by the Native Americans?
1: In a sense, um, the, the religion, at least of the folks that I spend time with, is very different than the way we think of religion here. It's more uh, native, uh, excuse me, more nat- native or natural based, I guess, based on nature. Um, The healers there teach that everything in nature has energy, has consciousness. And by using the plant medicine, you're able to tap into the consciousness of nature and learn from it. They view the uh, plant medicine actually as a teacher, a plant teacher, and say it has its own energy or consciousness. And while you ingest the medicine, you become a student of the teacher, and the plant shows you things. Um, Down there, they use it for a variety of purposes. Um, They use it for physical healing, for emotional or spiritual healing. They use it to see into the future. Um, their experience is when you're on, uh, under the influence of the ayahuasca, you're able to leave your body and travel to distant places. You can travel forward or back in time, um, which allows them to even use it for divination purposes. They use it uh, to find lost items or lost relatives. For example, if Uncle Joe's missing, you can take ayahuasca and find out where Uncle Joe has gone. Or if someone has stolen your hmm. car, you can use the ayahuasca to find out where is you're missing. Uh, Where is your stolen car located? And so they use it for a variety of purposes, which are not what we would necessarily consider religious in our sense here in the U.S., but uh, for them it's, it is considered a, a sacred or a valuable medicine.
0: Uh, how do these equate to actual, well, I say actual out-of-body experiences, the way they're described by people who have said their soul leaves their body connected by a silver cord and can travel anywhere in the world?
1: Sure. Well, the derivation of ayahuasca is from a Quechua word. Quechua is a uh, name for the indigenous group of people that live in South America, one of the indigenous groups. It's actually the largest indigenous group of people in South America, similar to our Navajo or, or Cheyenne or Sioux people here. And it's also the name of the language they speak. And Quechua means vine of the soul or vine of the spirit, sometimes translated as vine of the dead, because people often experience under the influence of ayahuasca that they are able to leave their body, their consciousness can leave their body and travel, very similar to what people report in near-death experiences. Um, So there's quite a few commonalities between the experiences reported on ayahuasca and those reported by people who've had near-death experiences.
0: So they might see a deceased relative on the other side, um, what we would call uh, a ghost, for instance.
1: Yes, there's the possibility of meeting with ancestors, uh, people that have already passed over to the other side, Um, or people that are still living, um, and again, you can go forward or back in time with this medicine or have the experience of traveling forward and back in time so you can see your future or the future of others, or you can also see the past and understand how past experiences may be influencing a person in the present and therefore learn from that experience um, and grow through it or from it.
0: One of the things I remember reading, I don't know if it was Graham Graham Hancock or not, but that there was some sort of a serpent creature that... um, that uh, they saw in a vision uh, that uh, communicated with them, almost like an alien. Uh, do you know anything about uh, about that kind of experience?
1: Yes, I can tell you from my first experience that something similar to that very very, uh, very much happened. I began having visions of snakes, which I'm not terribly fond of snakes, but under the influence of the ayahuasca, I began seeing snakes that were communicating with me. And, and it's not unusual for people to have experiences of communicating with animals such as snakes or jaguars, which are very sacred in the jungle, or even the forest. I know that my wife, on her first experience with ayahuasca, um, started hearing the forest talking to her and communicating with her and teaching her things that she didn't know about otherwise. So it's quite common for people to have uh, communication with plants or animals while they're uh, under the influence of the ayahuasca.
0: Does this uh, result in any lasting ability to... um be more at one with nature or to communicate with nature?
1: You know, it's a good question. Um, I I know from some people that they do seem to have heightened um, intuitive abilities uh, following their experiences. That's true not just with ayahuasca but with many of the psychedelics. And I think that's probably very much based upon the individual and how able they are to remain open to that sort of uh, realm, I guess, of intuitive consciousness or communication. Uh, but there certainly seems to be some evidence that People who use this medicine regularly do become more intuitive. There are, um, I should mention, in the United States, ayahuasca is still considered to be an illegal drug. DMT is what's called a Schedule One medicine, which means that um, the Food and Drug Administration considers it to have no medical use and to be a, a, have a high risk for abuse, even though, like I said, it is a naturally occurring substance. However, Mm -hmm. there are several Brazilian churches, there are three actually, that have begun to, that have incorporated ayahuasca into their religious or traditional ceremonies. And the Supreme Court uh, of the United States did rule in favor of one of these Brazilian churches here in the U.S., saying that as long as the ayahuasca is used as part of their religious ceremony, it is legal. So we're seeing a a spread of the Brazilian churches throughout the United States where people are using ayahuasca regularly. And uh, whether that leads to increased ability to communicate with nature, I think, remains to be seen since there hasn't been a lot of research done yet uh, on that topic,
0: hmm. so in, in many ways it is like the Native American Church and peyote.
1: It is. There are some real similarities there, and it was actually the uh, the peyote church's use, or excuse me, the Native American Church's use of peyote that was um, cited in the uh, Supreme Court decision to allow the Brazilian churches, <clears throat> excuse me, to continue using ayahuasca as part of their uh, religious tradition.
0: Now, now when uh, LSD was first discovered. Um... There was a lot of hope that that would, there would be some potential in that for working, uh, with psychiatric conditions or with, uh, uh, visionary, um uh, religious condi- <laughs> conditions as well. I mean, in other words, giving people a new way of looking at the world and, and at, um, what comes after, uh, we leave this world. Uh, but that all sort of fell by the wayside. With-
1: Yes, unfortunately it did. Um, LSD, when it was discovered by Albert Hoffman, a, a chemist in Switzerland, had a lot of potential uses. Um, the two primary uses that it was uh, employed for at that time were in the treatment of alcoholism and addictions, as well as in combination with psychotherapy. <clears throat> Excuse me. And it uh, led to the development of two different camps or schools of, of use of LSD uh, therapeutically. Um, The one here in the United States uh, became quite popular, actually, as it was used to treat addictions, and it was called psychedelic therapy, where high doses of LSD were administered to people who suffered from addictions to alcohol or other drugs, and it was so successful that uh, many treatment centers popped up around the U.S. and Canada using LSD. Um, The other method that was used more commonly in Europe was using low doses of LSD repeatedly, And this was used in conjunction with psychotherapy to help people work through psychological issues. And they also had good success with it. Um, And there was a tremendous amount of research. Hundreds of research papers were published on the therapeutic uses of LSD. And at the time, it was considered to be the most effective treatment for alcoholism available, um, unfortunately because of the uh, widespread recreational use that uh, ensued and uh, some uh, sensationalistic reports of dangers, many of which were later proven to be untrue, LSD was, um, again, scheduled into the Schedule I category, which is similar to the DMT, so that it was no longer easily available for research. Interestingly enough, there has recently been a study published with LSD, the first one in decades, looking at it as a therapeutic medicine to treat anxiety in folks who are terminally ill. And what they found was that LSD was very safe, well-tolerated, and, in fact, did reduce um, the anxiety in people who are dying. There have also been some recent studies with other psychedelic medicines published um, in the U.S. and Canada, as well as Europe. So it looks like there's beginning to be a resurgence of interest in research with psychedelics.
0: Hmm. Um, In your introduction, we mentioned MDMA. Maybe you could tell uh,
1: uh,
0: folks a little about that.
1: Sure. MDMA is an interesting medicine. Um, It was used back in the 70s, primarily in California, again, as an adjunct to psychotherapy. On the street, it's often called ecstasy because it produces a state of profound uh, almost euphoria but it also has the ability to lower psychological defenses and so it was used uh, psychotherapeutically to help people work through issues Um, i'd published a paper back many years ago uh, interviewing several physicians who had used it personally um, to understand why they used it what the effects were Um, it uh, was a very effective medicine uh, until it again began to appear in bars in texas where it was sold over over the bars for recreational use it became very popularly used in the rave scene first in California then spread across the U.S. Um, It's a very powerful medicine that has the potential to allow people to develop uh, very quick psychological insights but unfortunately because of the widespread use and fears about its potential harms it was um, placed in schedule one as well so it wasn't readily available however um, recently there have been some studies performed both in South Carolina And there's an ongoing study in Boulder, Colorado right now looking at MDMA MDMA as a treatment for post-traumatic stress disorder. And the results have been really remarkable um, to the point that some folks who have been so disabled that they can't work because of their PTSD being able to return to work um, with just a few treatments with MDMA. So the hope is that if the studies continue to show this is a safe, effective medicine, that perhaps one day MDMA may once again be a, a safe medicine that doctors can prescribe for their patients. Um, in a therapeutic setting so that they could overcome PTSD. There's also a uh, study that will begin soon, if it hasn't already, at UCLA. My former professor, Charles Grove, has gained approval to look at the use of MDMA in the treatment of high-functioning autism. And the thought there is mm. that it lowers psychological defenses. These folks who suffer with uh, autism may be able to inter, uh, interact other, with others better if their psychological defenses are lowered, so we'll see if that bears fruit as well.
0: Wow, that would be terrific.
1: Yeah, what, it, it, there's a lot of hope. What an
0: amazing idea.
1: Yes, The idea's been around because for a long time. Yes, the difficulty's it, been that there's been such tight regulation of these medicines that it's been impossible for researchers to investigate their potential uses. But fortunately, in the last few years, there's been a relaxing of these restrictions, so the research is beginning to happen again.
0: Is there any place in the world where these are legal or, um, or can be used by a doctor therapeutically? If someone had an autistic child, for instance, is there a place they could go?
1: I'm not aware of anywhere that has yet um, approved the use of MDMA therapeutically. Uh, Ayahuasca certainly is legal in South America. In fact, it's considered a national treasure in Peru. And so uh, it is possible um, for people to experience the ayahuasca if they travel to South America, which has led to an interesting phenomena called ayahuasca tourism. There are many centers now that have popped up, uh, many of them in Peru, some in Ecuador as well, where people travel to South America, pay a fee, and then have an experience with ayahuasca unfortunately some of these are not well run um, some of them are very ethical are very professional. I have a friend uh, Joe Tafur a family physician from Arizona who spends about six months a year down in Peru working with a shaman it's a very reputable organization but some other ones have not been well run and it's led to some problems for some of the tourists who've gone to South America who haven't really investigated these centers so If people decide they want to travel down and experience ayahuasca, they need to be very careful about the center they go to and make sure it is reputable and that there are uh, people there that know what they're doing.
0: seems like with uh, ayahuasca there's a difference in that it's not considered so much a religious practice so that the shaman wouldn't necessarily be offended by someone who is just doing this to uh, find out more about themselves.
1: Yes, that's true. Yeah, the, With the ayahuasca, it's, um, as it's used in many of the countries of South America, it's not necessarily part of a religious ceremony. So people who are interested in exploring their own consciousness or interested in healing or growth um, are able to use that with the, with the shamans. And, and the shamans, many of them are very open-minded uh, in terms of working with North Americans who come down and are willing to share their knowledge and wisdom with people who want to come and learn from them. Um, and so many people have had very life-changing, transformative experiences through their use of ayahuasca in South America.
0: Do you think that uh, the out-of-body experience is um, is tr- is or can be triggered by ayahuasca as apart from say some of the other psychedelics? Uh, In other words, is that a, is that an un, is that unique to ayahuasca?
1: No, I don't think so. Lee. I think it's a common with ayahuasca, and I don't know why it's so common with ayahuasca. From my own experience, it certainly was. It, uh, the experience of being an ayahuasca, one can easily feel their their consciousness sort of floating up out of their body, and it's very common. I don't know if it's because the DMT somehow facilitates that experience or not, uh, but it seems to be very common with ayahuasca, maybe even more so than some of the other psychedelics.
0: Mm. And how about healing? Is that more common with ayahuasca?
1: Yeah, I think there are different kinds of healing at different levels. Um, One of the uh, physiological effects of ayahuasca is it's a purgative on the GI system. What that means is it induces uh, vomiting and diarrhea, which are not some of the more pleasant effects of the medicine. But uh, it's very common after drinking ayahuasca that people will experience repeated vomiting for a period of a few hours. In the jungle of South America, that can have beneficial effects for people who may have uh, parasites in their GI tract. Um, But also people often experience some psychological benefits. They feel as they're purging, as they're vomiting, that they're releasing psychological energy or traumas. And so there can be a psychological effect. Some people have very profound spiritual or mystical experiences with ayahuasca. So there can be healing at that level as well. And uh, that's uh, more common with some of the other psychedelics as well. In fact, there were some studies done back in the 60s um, looking at um, the treatment of uh, alcohol or other addictions um, with LSD, and, and they found that people who had a mystical or spiritual experience with LSD were much more likely to be healed from their addictions than those who did not. So um, with these psychedelic medicines, including ayahuasca, there can be healing at different levels.
0: So this, is, uh, <laughs> this brings us to another question. Is is the effect of this drug or any of these drugs um, to empower certain portions of the brain or to shut down certain portions of the brain so that our soul consciousness, if you will, can can break through from the other side?
1: That's a great question. And, and researchers are just beginning to look at that. There have been some interesting studies using brain imaging scans performed in England, um, looking at the effects of, um, particularly, psilocybin mushrooms and how they affect the brain. And what they found was a little bit surprising. They found that certain areas of the brain were actually shut down rather than activated. Many people think, well, if these these medicines are inducing visionary experiences, some people call them hallucinations, although I disagree with that, um, that that must be activating the brain and stimulating some part of the brain. But, in fact, it was the opposite. They found that parts of the brain were actually shutting down, which would indicate uh, to some people that perhaps that's allowing... A more uh, expansive form of consciousness to come through, not so limited by our brains, and I think that's created a more of a debate or fueled the debate over is consciousness a byproduct of the brain, or is the brain more of a, a receiver of consciousness?
0: do you see most uh, um, medical people who are now getting interested in this um, coming from a purely scientific point of view or or is it a mix now of mysticism and science
1: you know it's a very interesting mix of people they're Several studies on psychedelics uh, that are occurring throughout the United States. I mentioned UCLA. Um, University of Arizona is also doing some research studies. Uh, Michael Bogenschutz at the University of New Mexico has done work with um, psychedelics treating alcoholism. Uh, at New York University and Harvard, um, and Johns Hopkins, there are research studies now looking with psychedelics to treat a variety of conditions. And some of these researchers are interested mostly in their um, biological effects of these medicines. Others are looking more at the mystical components. So I think there are a lot of different backgrounds that people have um, who are interested in these medicines. Some people experimented with them during the 60s and they had very profound effects, and now they're wanting to explore them further. Other people are more interested in them just from a theoretical perspective and what they may offer to teach us not only about uh, treatments of mental illness but also expansion of consciousness.
0: Mm. One one of the early... Horror stories about LSD back in the sixties was that the CIA and other government operatives were using it to break down people's um, will to to keep secrets or or to um, manipulate them in some way or another. Have you seen any government interest, you know, uh, subversive government interest in these drugs uh, reoccurring?
1: Well, not exactly. Yeah, you're right. There was uh, some well-documented uh, research that the CIA was looking at LSD as possibly a truth serum, seeing if it would break down mm. psychological defenses where they could interrogate uh, captives and, and gain information from them. But they found that it didn't work well. That oftentimes on the LSD, rather than people breaking down and divulging information, they were having profound mystical experiences or other types of experiences that didn't lend themselves well to being interrogated. So that uh, sort of led to, and also there were some people who were given LSD, some of our own U.S. military, who weren't told they were being given LSD and had some very terrifying, frightening experiences. Because with all these medicines, it's not just the medicine, but it's the uh, mental set or preparation of the individual as well as the physical environment that determines their effects. What is interesting now is that the U.S. Army has shown some interest in the use of MDMA as a treatment for post-traumatic stress disorder. There have been several veterans of the Iraq and uh, Afghanistan wars who have returned with PTSD. We see a lot of it here in Colorado. I live very close to Colorado Springs where there are several military bases. We've seen a tremendous rise in the number of folks coming back from the war with PTSD, and the treatments we have are not always very effective uh, from a mental health standpoint. So the uh, effectiveness of MDMA in treating post-traumatic stress disorder has uh, garnered the interest of the U.S. Army and military because it may provide a more effective uh, treatment for these individuals coming back from the war.
0: I imagine a lot of uh, PTSD victims hearing this, the veterans especially, might be tempted to just go out on the street and buy ecstasy in hopes of uh, curing uh, their PTSD. It's probably not a good idea, is it?
1: No, you're exactly right. Lee. Unfortunately, with these medicines I mentioned before, it's not just the medicine itself. Uh, that determines the effects. The set and setting are crucial in terms of determining the effects of the medicine. We um, used to see that back in the 60s. Some people would have what they called bad trips. Um, some people would be in a setting that wasn't conducive to altered consciousness, and they could have a very frightening or terrifying experience. Although that's not likely to happen with MDMA, what is likely is they're not going to receive the full therapeutic benefits if they take it just on their own. The studies that are being performed now typically have two uh, therapists one male, one female, who sit with the individual throughout the entire MDMA session, and they're there to provide support or help them process any information that comes up because many of these people are reliving some horrifically uh, frightening and uh, experiences from the war, and having someone who's trained sitting with them to help them through this is as important therapeutically as taking the, the medicine itself.
0: Is it usually required that the people sitting with the, with the patient – Um, have experienced uh, ecstasy themselves?
1: Yes, my understanding is that that's part of the protocol, that before the therapists um, administer the MDMA to the individuals going through the the trials, that they have to themselves have an experience with it. so They know what to expect and know how to guide the person through it. Um, The MDMA is a very different type of medicine than, let's say, LSD. They call it a heart-opening medicine, meaning that there aren't many bad trips on MDMA, but uh, the therapeutic usefulness of it is influenced by how skilled the the therapists are who are working with the individual going through the NDMA sessions.
0: And coming back to ayahuasca for a second, um, we, we've talked about how it uh, can stimulate a, an out-of-body experience, but have you heard any stories about people actually uh, coming into a more near-death-like experience where they s- go through a tunnel, see the light, perhaps see that part of the other side?
1: Yeah, there are many, many people on ayahuasca who see an, a light, an unearthly light. I haven't. Um, the tunnel experience is a little different. Um, many people will travel to other worlds. Sometimes they'll talk about going to the upper world or the lower world. Some people will travel through, again, sort of openings in nature, maybe a cave or a, even through a tree trunk to experience other realms. Um, but tunnel experiences are not so common. The light is a very common experience that people have with ayahuasca, and it's often part of their mystical experience. They often described seeing a light that, uh, in themselves, in others, um, in nature. And there are some artists who've done some beautiful work that people could access on the Internet if they were to Google ayahuasca paintings and um, draw them up. There are some beautiful pictures of uh, experience people have had with ayahuasca that show many different uh, visions of light.
0: Is it a large portion of the population in, say, Brazil that that has tried this? Is it a... a When you said it it was a national drug or a national um, treasure, um, do people avail themselves of it there?
1: You know, it really varies. Um, It's used primarily still by the indigenous uh, people of South America, although that is changing. The Brazilian churches that developed were uh, syncretic religions. They were blending oftentimes the Roman Catholicism of the uh, Portuguese people who'd come to Brazil as well as the indigenous folks that uh, were living there before the uh, Europeans came. um, The population is such that there are many more um, uh, Spanish uh, people in Peru, for example, than indigenous people, while in Ecuador it's about a 50-50 split between indigenous people and Spanish people. So it really depends on the demographics, but primarily it's still used by Uh, indigenous cultures, although uh, the non-indigenous cultures are becoming more interested in and exploring it more frequently.
0: Has there been any interest um, from the Catholic Church, for instance, which is probably very strong in in the religious culture of those countries?
1: You know, not that I'm aware of. I know that when the conquistadors, the explorers, first came, they were traveling with the sanction of the Catholic Church, and at the time the first priests came to South America, they actually took a very negative view of ayahuasca. They saw that individuals under its influence were speaking within uh, spirits they couldn't see, and they assumed that it was the devil. So many of the Mm -hmm. shamans actually were tortured or put to death for practicing uh, their traditional healing methods using ayahuasca. These people were considered witch doctors, which came from the the fact that this was the time of the witch hunts in Europe, and so these shamans, these healers, were considered to be witches. Uh, I know that has changed some over the time. When I was in Ecuador, I met a... uh, Catholic priest who had come to the jungle to work with the indigenous people. However, he drank ayahuasca regularly uh, and came to integrate it as part of his religious tradition, but I think he was an outlier most likely.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Oh, Mitch, uh, this has been fascinating. I'm I'm afraid we're just about out of time, but perhaps you could tell our audience how they can get in touch with you for more information.
1: Sure. The best way would probably be to email me and my email is Leister l-i-e-s-t-e-r at aol.com And I'd be glad to communicate with anybody who has any further questions or interest.
0: That's terrific. I'd like to thank our guest, Dr. Mitch Leister, for a fascinating discussion. If you would like to listen to this show again or any other of our programs, please visit our website at nderadio.org. And for more information about INS, please check that website at IANDS.org. There will be information on that site about our upcoming Labor Day weekend conference on NDEs, health and healing in Newport Beach, California, from August 28th through the 31st. So save those dates, and thanks for listening.